Hey, this is John St. Augustine. Welcome to the Life 2.0 Podcast Wednesday Rant Edition. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor, make sense out of the senseless, but all possible, find the obvious, bear to the absurd. Hold on to your friggin' lug nuts. It's time for an overall. So here I was minding my own business, getting ready to do an audio project, an ongoing audio book project, I should say, with a client who just didn't show up this morning. And it happens every now and again. This is someone who's very busy, high-end corporate job, all that kind of stuff. And we just had some cleanup work to do on this audio book that she has coming out, which will be fantastic, not just because I'm producing it, but because it's chock full of great stuff when it comes to uh, working your way up the corporate and down the corporate ladder. So anyway... Uh, that was supposed to be about a half hour ago. It didn't happen, didn't happen. Sent emails, no response. Put on some music just to pass the time and check my emails and yada, yada, yada. And I figured we'll bag it and tag it till next time. So before I'm getting ready to shut everything down, I thought, hey, wait a minute. I got a microphone in front of my face. I rarely do these on Wednesday. Now, I'll write on occasion a Wednesday rant. I usually just put it on Facebook because it's just easier to park it there but I'm sitting here in front of a perfectly good microphone. And I just thought there's a couple things I might share on this Wednesday rant. Now, to be clear, a rant is usually something very negative. And I've gone in that direction on occasion. I don't think you can look at life realistically without having to take a look at the dark side of things. You know, I am not Tony Robbins. Never thought I could be or should be. Uh, I have people who have read my books around the world and they, they, they herald my my work is something that helped them change their lives and the directions of their lives. But I am not one of those guys who can just say everything is perfect, wonderful, and great. And, you know, maybe Tony Robbins doesn't even do that. But I, I just have never felt like I was a motivational speaker type person. Most of what I've learned just comes from the hard knocks of life. You know, I went to college, but I really graduated, like so many people, from the University of Hard Knocks. That's where you learn your stuff. So I was telling somebody in conversation the other day, you know, when I was in high school and in college, I never took a course that said, here's what happens when your parents die. Here's, here's how you go through that. Here's what happens when you have no money and your refrigerator takes a shit. Here's how you handle that. Here's what happens when, you know, you have to donate a body part to somebody to keep them alive. Here's how you're going to feel after that. I had no preparation for life once I walked out the doors of high school and or college. And that's formal education, no question. But I, I would think there should have been something. I mean, I think the closest I ever got, we had a guy who taught like, I don't know what the class was called, but I learned how to write out a check and a deposit slip and balance a checkbook in high school. I'll never forget the name of the teacher. His name was Sterling Kirsch. I don't know if Mr. Kirsch is still among the living. If he is, God bless him. If he isn't, God bless him as well. And this is a, a, a formidable guy with a jutting beard. And, and every time we'd walk in uh, to that particular class, I think it was my senior year, I had a guy sitting next to me whose name was Eves Bellington. Now that's a lot to carry. But anyway, every time we would walk into Mr. Kirsch's class, he'd take attendance. And when he got to Eves Bellington, he always called him Beef Wellington. Never forgot it. So I hope there was, you know, no difficulty came out of that for Eves Bellington, wherever he's at. But that's the only thing I can remember. There was anything applicable outside of, 
you know, reading, writing, arithmetic that applied to life. Now, my dad was in the banking business. He taught me how to work with numbers. And so that wasn't a big deal at that point. But I just realized that so much of what I've had to deal with, and I'm sure you've had to deal with in your life, nobody taught you. You had to learn it on the fly. You know, life is, a, is like a test, but you don't get to study for it. You have to go take the test, and then the answers come afterwards. You don't study beforehand and have the answers. It's after the fact that you have taken the test. So that was kind of the setup for this little rant today in a very positive way. And yesterday afternoon, well, let me just back up one more day before that. I got a call a couple days ago from a woman who uh, said she had been given my name by a mutual friend and that could I fill in for a speaker at an event they had in a community college near, near Chicago last minute. Last minute being like 12 hours later. Uh, I had a lot on my plate, but I thought, you know, this is one of those things that I felt moved to go say yes, especially because that it came through a certain friend of mine who I have highest regard for. And if he recommended me, sure, I'll, I'll do it. And if there's no other way around it, I'm in. Now, listen, I used to earn a pretty good living as a speaker. I mean, it was an adjunct to the other things I've done, writing books and doing radio and stuff. And if I go back to the glory days of Harpo, I mean, listen, uh, you know, when you're on the uh, Oprah network and you're in the Oprah orbit, everything's golden around you. And I did not uh, let that go wasted on me, I'm here to tell you. So my first book came out in 2006, Living an Uncommon Life. When that hit the radio airwaves and, you know, people find out that you're, you know, one degree moved from Miss Winfrey, I mean, everything really changes. And I've never took that for granted. And it was quite an interesting, magical time. I doubt it'll ever be duplicated as long as I'm here again. But for those four and a half, five years, it was pretty incredible. Sold a lot of books. I got a little taste of what it was like to be at a level where, you know, people, more people know you than you know them kind of thing. And I was thinking about how this path has meandered to where it's at now. And as I mentioned, you know, for about five years, six years, I was huge in Trinidad of all places. I don't know how it happened exactly, all the pieces that came together, but the books got there and there was a woman uh, who owned radio stations in Miami and there was a connection there. And so I went to Miami, then she brought me to Trinidad. And I, I went back four or five, six years, once a year to speak at major corporations down there, made more money for two hours of my time than my dad made in a month. And, you know, flying first class below the equator to a beautiful country and just taking care of royally. So it was a really interesting time. Those days are pretty much behind me now. COVID took care of a lot of that stuff. And I got to tell you, I'm very comfortable sitting in my captain's chair here behind a microphone. I have to go anywhere. I can talk to the world from here. So anyway, that that's kind of the setup for the speaking thing. So when I get a call to do something like that, I kind of like, oh, that's pretty interesting. I remember those days when I was out you know, running around on the speaking circuit doing this stuff. I said, sure, it's about a 45-minute drive, happy to do it. And they sent me the, uh, the flyer about the project or what they were doing, and it had to do with Native American Heritage Month. It was called The Great Listening, was the name of the, uh, the theme of the event. So not knowing anybody, uh, off I went and uh, got there right on time and, and sat down, and I met some folks and met the guy who was the, uh, the president of the college, and they all had remarks and things, and all of it started to sink into me a little bit that this is very familiar territory for me, meaning while I haven't done it for a while, haven't been out speaking in public for a while, 
it's like a switch that gets flipped and it's all there again. And that's kind of cool when I'm sitting, it's like getting ready for a game, right? You know, you, you practice, 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 practice. And when it's game time, it's game time. So after they finished my really considerably long bio, which they didn't have to read all of it. It's like, like a eulogy at this point while I'm still here. Uh, I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to say, but I knew that it would come. I'd have it zero notes, just like this morning. I'm not working on notes here for this podcast, this rant. But what started to come out, looking at the sea of faces in front of me, all of which are, you know, I mean, I have shoes older than most of the people that were sitting there listening to me, young kids, college kids. And I felt at once like a fossil standing up in front. I'm probably, if you push it, I could be as old as some of their grandparents, I would imagine. And, and yet, I was waiting for the lean, the lean is when you're doing your thing up on stage and people start to come with you where you're going with them. You hope to take them. And they started to lean in and nobody's moving. Now, this is in an open area at a college. And there were people walking around and I'm real cognizant of who's moving and where they're at and what's going on. The security guy way at the other end of the hallway comes out from behind his booth and comes walking up to listen. The people that were walking on the side stop and turn and listen. I'm really clear that they're really not there for that, but find themselves drawn in. Far more a testament to what comes through me than anything I could come up on my own. Let's just be real clear on that. You have to become hollow bones to do the work, to get to do whatever it is you're supposed to do at that point. And I will tell you that most of what I talked about, I don't remember. That's how it works. You flip the switch on, the water comes out, you turn the switch off and you're done. But a couple of things that came up that were very prevalent and that I wanted to share in this rant in a very positive direction is the fact that we are not apart from each other, even though it's portrayed like that, especially in the media, that we're all separate from each other, color, skin, race, creed, all these demographics that pull us apart, they put us in categories. So we are not apart from each other, we are part of each other. And no greater uh, validation than there is when I went to Trinidad. I don't look like anybody in Trinidad, I don't sound like anybody in Trinidad. And yet I sat there, was able to relate my life experiences and people leaned in because their experiences are basically the same. If you're a parent in Toronto or Trinidad, you're a parent. If you're running a business in Chicago or Charleston, you're running a business. If you're up against it health-wise in Los Angeles or Lithuania, you're up against it health-wise. These common ground things that we have where we can all meet and say, yes, I get this, I understand this, that's all part and parcel of being in the human family. And so what's out there in the headlines is not about the human family. Those are the headlines. They are constantly changing, constantly picking apart. I'm not even going to get into the examples that pop up on my Yahoo page about shit that I could do nothing about that has nothing to do with me. And I have to dig for one or two things that make sense to me and connect with my life. So if you instead flip-flop it, right, and you have 90% of the content going to people and saying, yes, we can connect on 90% of what's going on, there's a great strength in that. There's a huge strength in that. So as I was talking yesterday, we're going back and forth on these things, and as I said, it was called the great listening. And the only way I think you can be a good communicator, if not a great communicator, is by listening first. And for me, it's the listening in my head. It's not me listening to someone out there. It's listening to the someone in here. Now, I've been doing this a long time, and I get that. 
And there are these common themes that I've talked about before, and I get that too. But this was a very different audience in in the fact that young class of kids and and uh, people that were stopping and like that in a college setting. And at one point, I had an out of body experience, which happens when I if I if I'm on point, and it's all happening, I literally realize that I'm not doing it. I mean, I'm the machine for sure, and my mouth's moving, and I get it. But I have this stand off to the side thing for a second going, this is so cool because I'm delivering the mail. I'm doing what I came to the world to do. And that was the thing that I really wanted to push home to them. We all came here with something to do. As it's been said, the two most important days of your life are the day you showed up and the day you figure out why you showed up. And it doesn't have to be solving world hunger or running for president. I don't know who would, but... It doesn't have to be any of these ginormous things out there that says this is where you make a difference. It's the small, quiet corners. It's the security guy in the back of the room behind the, in the little booth checking to make sure people are coming and doing his job. That could be his, what his deal is. My deal was to be on stage. My deal is be behind a microphone. My deal is to write books. Those are my deals. I did the security thing. That wasn't my deal. It could be his deal. So that was really the thing. It's like, if we're going to make this work, and there's no reason why it can't, this is the friggin' 21st century. We have more technology at our fingertips than any group of humans who've ever come before us. And with that, the bad has gotten worse and the good has gotten greater. It is a constant trade-off. So we're the ones in the middle that have to figure out how we're going to do this and why. And you have to figure out why you're here. I mean, what else is there? I reminded them and myself that the odds of being born are 1 in 400 trillion. That's the odds of being born. There's been 72 billion humans on the planet since they started counting humans. There's about 7.8 now. No one gets to stay here forever. So this dedicated little slice of time that we're all given, that we show up one out of four, that's the freaking lottery win of ever. I mean, one out of 400 trillion, you get to show up, and what is it you're supposed to do here? And so that's a shift in consciousness that has to take place. I mean, I, I don't spend a whole lot of time worrying about what my next phone's going to look like. There are people that do. I don't do that. So my consciousness got to the point where the things that I guess most people or a majority of people are concerned about and worried about, I don't really care. Been there, done it, seen it, all that kind of stuff. So my focus is whatever time I have left is to up the game a little bit for myself and for the people around me and the people I get a chance to connect with. This is what I came here to do. This is my song, for lack of a better term. So in this little short Wednesday intervention, I want to remind you that no matter where you are or where you're at, or what you've done or haven't done, or what you have overcome or have not yet overcome, it is all part and parcel of being here. And that it's a total, in my opinion, it's a total setup, meaning that all the difficulties in life are there to peel away what no longer exists or matter, and they get down to the essence of who you are. And we have choices and chances to make in everything that we do. And the people that come across our path, I've always felt they're like messengers and teachers and students all at the same time. We're all just kind of, as Ram Das said, we're all just walking each other home. But how we get there is not nearly as important as why we're getting there. So this is kind of the curse of consciousness, right? So the more I'm aware of things, I pull back 
and I see the big picture and the little tiny pictures inside them, how it's a mosaic, it's so difficult for me to be quiet about it. Say, how can you not see this? And as Dr. Jane Goodall has said, apathy is the greatest challenge, that we do nothing. And every time, you, in my opinion, every time you turn on the news or jump on one of these sites where all this gloom and doom is, we're up shit creek already then. What's the point? How does that validate being alive? It doesn't. It just doesn't. So during the talk yesterday, I brought up the concept that I've talked about on this show a few times over the years called SAID. It's a kinesiology term. And I said, by chance, is there anybody in this crowd that knows what kinesiology is? And sure enough, in the back corner, a nice young lady raises her hand. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I've been asking that question for 20 years. No one's ever raised their hand. Had her come up on the stage and I asked her if she knew what SAID meant. She did not. So I had to help her out a little bit. I mean, it's a, it's a kinesiology term, and it means specific adaptation to impose demands. Now, she knew all about the study of movement in the body, so she gets an A for that. But the SAID thing, she didn't know about. I thanked her. She sat down. They gave her a nice round of applause. And then I had to throw this out. Well, that explains our physical movements, and I look the way I do, and fill in the blank, you know, athlete or everybody else looks the way they do. Their, their body has adapted to the demand placed on it, for better or for worse. But I've taken it further than that over time. It's dawned on me that while it's specific adaptation to impose demands, in my life it's become spiritual adaptation to imposed demands. This goes back to my days at the YMCA, which has been the greatest workouts I've ever had at the Y. Mind, body, spirit. They're supposed to be in balance. They're supposed to have the bubble in the middle as best you can. That's why it's that. So you know people who have got this fantastic physique, but it's like talking to a milk dud. And then there's that spiritual part, which I think is, I don't even think, I know, is essential. Essential to consciousness awareness and change. And so it takes a little oomph, a little workout to get those things doing what they need to do. So every time I go out and talk, I realize that it's my spiritual adaptation to the imposed man. My adaptation was I'll clear my schedule. I will go out there not knowing what I'm getting into and deliver the mail the best I could because that's what I came here to do. So when the call comes, I answer it and say yes, if at all possible. So I gave the talk and I finished with this um, human family poem that I've mentioned many times on this show and other places I've written about it. It was in 1993 and... Uh, I was asked to speak at the, uh, the Winstar Choices for the Future Symposium. John Denver was the guy who put that all together. Always grateful to him for his presence and support all these years later. And I finished it with the poem, which I'm not going to do here because I've done it many times. And it's, you can go read it if you want in some book of mine. But after I finished, there was a few people wanted to talk to me. And this young man comes up. And he said his name was Alex, and he said, you said uh, John Denver, right? I said, yeah. He goes, you know, I just got into his music during the pandemic. Matter of fact, we had a group of us. We would meet online and listen to his music and watch his videos. This kid's got to be 20. And I thought to myself, there it is again. John showed up doing what he was supposed to do, and the ripple effect takes place. And when you're doing what you're supposed to do, it outlives you. I think that was the whole idea. I have so many people in my life, those of name and note and those who you would never have heard of except if I said their name, who did just that. 
They live their lives in such a way that it, their life outlives them. And to me, that's the highest calling. That is the greatest value in a good way, not in a shitstorm way, right? So in a good way that makes life better for those following us so it's not a shithole all the time. To me, that is the best use of the one in 400 trillion lottery win you could ever spend. And maybe that's kind of where I want to leave it today. I was so geeked up yesterday to go out and speak. When I got there, the switch was flipped and off we went to the races. And I've been getting wonderful feedback, which is nice. All that says to me is I'm doing my job. That's it. I'm doing my job. So in short form, all that aside, the whole ranting thing, I got kind of worked up here, even though it is much later in the day than I normally would do this. I want to say that whatever you're seeking in life is seeking you. Whatever you're looking for out there, you first got to find in yourself. And then things will come. It doesn't happen on our time frame. If it did, we wouldn't be here anymore. If everything I wanted to see happen in my life took place when I wanted it to, I think I'd be gone already. What would be the point? So it's the journey and the destination, not one or the other. It's both. And since you're listening to this, no matter where you're at in the world, you're the lottery winner again. One in 400 trillion that you showed up and that you have something unique to bring to the planet that was not here before you got here. And what will you do with that? How will you spend your lottery winnings? What are you going to do with all that? And finally, what about your spiritual adaptation to impose demands? How has the demands of life pushed you in such a way that spiritually you had to adapt, improvise, and overcome in order to grow. It's a setup. Every loss is a gain somewhere, and we've all had them. So when you're done with the loss, eventually it shows itself. What will you do with this loss? What will you transform it into? Powerful stuff, kids. Until next time, be well, safe travels. Adios. They are giving up their lives For something that is less than it can be Some have longed for a home In a place of inspiration Some will fill the emptiness inside By giving it all to the things that they believe They believe Maybe it's just the dream in me Maybe it's just my style Maybe it's just the freedom that i found But given the possibility Of living up to the dream in me You know that I'd be reaching for higher ground I will stand on my own I will live up to this vision I will trust in what I feel and follow my heart until it brings me home bring me home maybe it's just the dream in me maybe it's just my style maybe it's just the freedom that I found possibility of living up to the dream in me, 
Let's 